Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, I did want to start off our conversation today and uh, kind of get some insight from you about how do you deal with your nerves when you're getting ready to go out and compete? Oh, that's an interesting question. Actually, I don't really have like a super set process for how to deal with nerves, but uh I definitely have to deal with them because I get a little, really nervous about going out in front of everybody. So I guess one of the things that I do is I go far away from the competition field because I really don't want to see what the other teams are doing. I want to focus more on what I want to be doing. And so I just kind of get some distance from the competition field and from other people. And then I really I have to get really focused inward. And so I'm not talking to people. I'm not like practicing with my partner. I'm just zing up the disc and doing like my awesome demo moves. I'm just doing things I know I can catch every time to build my confidence to think, yep, I can do anything I want. I can catch anything. I'm solid. And I just keep on doing that. Not enough to get tired, but enough to stay warm and kind of focus inward, I guess. Yeah, I think I, I probably take that approach too in that solo silo. And it, it's definitely an interesting dance between getting warmed up and being too warm or not being warm enough. So one of the things that I do to kind of release that agitation and that nervousness is I'll do some sprints a couple minutes before I'm going to go on so that I can kind of get the blood going and kind of just, you know, get in my own space. It's interesting that whole dealing with nerves because everybody has to do it. I had an interesting conversation with Benedict Audette uh, one year at Frisbeer. She came and sat down next to me and she was talking about, you know, how nervous she gets before going out and asking me kind of that same question and almost like uh, implying that I didn't get nervous. And I was telling her, I was like, you know what? Everybody gets nervous. And just as I was saying that, a really good team was getting ready to go up. And I don't remember who it was. And I said, you know what? Those guys right now are really nervous. You know, I don't know if there's one tried and true idea or advice. You know, I think it's all kind of a a personal uh, approach, but we all do have to manage that. Yep. The thing that's, to me, that's interesting about freestyle frisbee competition is that you do it with partners. And so you're performing in front of people, but you're, you're doing it with a partner. When I get nervous for public speaking, it's just me. And so I can really focus on me. But when I'm with a partner, I I, sometimes I struggle with how much do I want to engage with my partner and really try to focus together versus really just focus inward and then walk out onto the field as if we're two separate people, even though we're doing the same competition. I've not found that balance where I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, it's an interesting emotion to deal with. And and, and, uh, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not. I don't think I've ever had fun with it. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we get into today's episode? Uh, We are going to continue our conversation with Amy Schiller, and we're going to start off by her talking about moving to one of the jam meccas of the world, La Jolla, California. Enjoy. Yeah. So in 1994, I moved to La Jolla and lived in the ghetto. Um, So the ghetto was like a famous 
flop house destination for people in our sport where um, it was walking distance to the cove. Uh, Peter Laubert was, you know, kind of managing um, the house. It's a four, really kind of five bedroom property, real, real old, like classic um, craftsman property there in La Jolla. There was a lot of amazing freestyle going on. I remember one time when Bob Frizz Coleman came to visit us at the ghetto. He stands out in my memory as a person who taught me several new skills, like in a day. He took me out and he's like, Amy, I want to teach you how to do the twisto flex. And he did. There were a couple other like kind of throwing skills that he and I worked on. And I don't know what the other, I don't recall the other move that he coached me up on, but, you know, shout out to Frizz for being that type of jammer who would coach. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the ghetto. So I think we have to dive into there a little bit. And because uh, <laughs> it is infamous as a place where many freestylers have either crashed, lived, partied, gone through. So, can you talk a little bit about like how many how many freestylers do you think lived there over its tenure? Did you ask me to dive in there? And did you mean that as a pun? Because it wasn't <laughs> exactly in tip top shape, but still a gorgeous classic house um, in San Diego, La Jolla, the jewel of California. I have no idea all the people that came and lived there or partied there. It was in La Jolla where there's all these multi-million dollar houses. And here was this one little rental that somehow Peter or you guys were able to rent for, gosh, over 10, 15 years. It really was in the Frisbee family for a long time. Yeah, it, it was Peter. Peter kept um, kept the deal going at the ghetto, I mean, until they tore it down. It was uh, an original Redwood Beach Cottage Um Built in exactly 1901. I looked it up because I, I loved that property. I, I like old stuff. It sounds like a lot of amazing things happened there. Well, and I mean, too, you know, I know everybody's doing the tiny room challenge right now because of COVID and everything. But in reality, we do our stuff outside, outside of the house, you know, and then it's just a lot of fun get togethers after the jam. And just it was it was kind of the attitude of the house that, you know, come one, come all, anytime, you know, you know, come to the beach, come early, stay late. And that was uh, a really great way to attract people to come and, uh, and play at the Cove and be part of our scene. So, Amy, I know you had an, another uh, notable partnership with Stacy. How did that come about? And how did it, just time-wise, how was it? aligned with your your partnership with Dave? Well, um, Stacy and I partnered up for the first time at the U.S. Open in 1990. She asked me to play with her, which was just like, yes. <laughs> yes, I would like to play with you. Stacy invited me to play for the 1990 U.S. Open. Pretty sure that um, Carolyn and Steve Hubbard just had their first baby, because um, Stacy and Carolyn were this like magically gorgeous women's freestyle team for years prior to that. But then when Stacy asked me, it's like, uh, yeah. And so we played 
the first time in 1990, U.S. Open, but we also began playing at the um, FPA Worlds sometimes too. We have several titles together. I, I don't know exactly how many. But also the thing is that when Stace and I started to play, we started to go pro and um, we were booking a lot of demonstrations. We got to do our first uh, international tour. Uh, we went down to Australia. We had our um, tour organizer, Doug Byers, out of Brisbane, Australia. He was representing Life Be In It, which is like a NGO for uh, behaviors in Australia. Amazing organization that helped Australians quit drinking and driving by, you know, taking taxi cabs before they went out to go party and stuff. So Life Be In It was the sponsor for us. And we spent like over two months traveling up and down the east coast of Australia. <laughs> that was pretty fun. Yeah. And you guys were also had a brand as well, right? Yeah. We wish we all could be California girls. That's right. I remember that. That What an incredible opportunity. So when you say you guys turned pro, were you making your living and were you billing yourselves as the California girls beyond the Australia tour? I always wanted to make my living playing Frisbee. Um, and I kept trying to do so, but it was like an odd job life, you know, so it was like Frisbee came first and I got fired a few times, you know, because you're not going to leave and go do that. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Guess again. Yes, I am, sir. That is funny. So uh, I'm trying to think of what, there's a question in there. I want to know more about, about your attempts to be a pro making your living as a Frisbee player. Maybe you could just give us a little more. So how did that start? You mentioned the California girls and wanting to uh, make your living doing Frisbee, basically. So I'm curious, how did that start? Well, that started with Stacy McCarthy, um, at that time, Stacy Anderson. So right after we started playing together, we decided that we had something um, that we could bring to the market. Um, so our goal was to get sponsorships and do tours. And the first one was the trip to Australia, traveling around, doing demonstrations. We, had, we were doing demonstrations in, in malls and we were doing demos for small corporate groups, all for life being it down in Australia. And then we just kind of carried on with that when we were back in San Diego. Um, you know, San Diego is a convention destination for corporations. So we would get booked with beach theme parties oftentimes and um, play in a small space and just be fun, exciting, happy, and pretty um, California girl Frisbee players. That was like, you know, our angle with it. I did a little bit on the kind of teaching, um, coaching. This was more so individually. I booked some gigs with like Zany Brainy, which is a retail toy store um, here in Southern California and was doing like regular demos there. But um, it wasn't making a living. It was fun. Yeah, it sounds like it was a, a little bit about pursuing your passion and trying to turn it into a profession, but it just didn't quite pay the bills, which I think is a lot of our experience. Well, and one thing too, it's like, man, if we had the internet the way we didn't have any internet at the time that Stacy and I were going for this, like 
just to put a demo package together where you've got like a video cassette and some pictures and you're mailing it was like $30. With uh, marketing and communications today, it's uh, it could be a really different gig, you know, if, uh, if you get in front of the right sponsor. Oh, interesting. So I wonder, I know there are other people out there who, who also want to make a living playing Frisbee. So do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I mean, secure the sponsors. One of the things that um, that I did was with Stacy and I, as we uh, got a contract with JAG, a women's sportswear company, we set it up so that if we were in the media, we were getting cash, you know, so we're wearing their clothes and then we get in, you know, the San Diego Woman magazine and get, you know, a couple grand Um and so that really helped a lot. And also with the sponsors, you know, they, they're going to pay for the photographers and set up those kinds of important media programs that you need to have a good portfolio. Well, I have a question that I'd like to ask in regards to getting a sponsorship. So what was your pitch? Were you pitching to these people that, hey, we're going to get you media exposure? Was that, was that the play? Definitely. We were just telling them what we did. So we were, you know, top level competitive athletes in our sport, you know, attractive young women wearing their clothes for every appearance, doing uh, corporate gigs. It wasn't like they were just giving us cash up front for sponsorship. They were just giving us clothes, which was nice. And then when we got exposure, we were getting some money. And then, of course, you know, doing the... um the gigs, you get, you know, cash there. None of this was big money though. Um, It wasn't, uh, it was sure fun. Um, And we got to go not only to Australia, but then um, later to Japan. And it was really, really, really cool. But yeah, don't, don't quit your date job. (laughs) (laughs) You keep mentioning how fun it was and I'm sure that it was fun. It sounds like an amazing experience. So do you have any stories that you would like to share from the experience, like a favorite thing that happened? Well, probably one of the most fun things that I remember with um, Stacy and I on tour, well, there's a bunch of them, but the first thing that came to mind was uh, being in Japan and going to a guts tournament. I was just blown away by how amazing the Japanese athletes were. And there there were a lot of awesome freestyle players hailing out of Japan, like uh, Kijo, Yamashiro, um, and others. Um, Yeah, the going to the Guts tournament. I mean, another time (laughs) when we were down in Australia, we were doing a lot of television. And so, you know, when you're doing television, it's like the indoor demo on, you know, a weird small surface, you know tiny room challenge once again right and one time i went to go do a flawed on this really slippery white i think it was kind of like a green screen floor and i wiped out (laughs) stacy told me that she could tell that when i got up you could lip read i said shit (laughs) on television (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there's some experiences there um it was all so beautiful and super, super cool. Yeah, I wasn't making much money, but I wouldn't trade that time for the world. So I know that doing shows takes a lot of physical ability, but it also takes a lot of preparation. And so I'm, I'm just curious about how you and Stacy 
prepared for doing the shows? Did you have a, a set routine that you did, or was there a lot of spontaneous moves? Like how how did you guys coordinate that the the performance aspect? Yeah, we had um, our dream of genie routine was our was our go to, and so we had a, a really solid set of co ops that we would do um, regularly. So it was the same type of moves that we see when we're doing um, competitive routines today, those same kind of co-ops. So when you developed that Dream of Genie routine, I remember that well, and I loved it. So how did you guys build that routine? Well, you know, I was relatively new to this process when we started. So, you know, Stacy was the brain on building the routine. Um, She had so many titles already under her belt by the time she started playing with me. One of the things that was kind of interesting there was that, you know, Stacy's predominantly a counter player. I worked a lot. What I spent a lot of time doing is is really getting better at counters and really getting better at throwing it um, so that I could make her look good. Right. So she was kind of taking you under her wing in that building a routine process and you were just kind of soaking it up. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, just doing what I'm told. So this is a good segue to talk about um, the Jeep commercial and that experience. And I was wondering if you could share with how that came about and what that was like to do that. Well, um, it came about because the ad agency that represents Jeep reached out to Whammo and Stork organized a huge cattle call uh, of uh, audition starting in San Diego, one in San Diego and one in L.A., as far as I know. So in San Diego, um, you know, everybody got together and and got out there. Um, But I was kind of like one of the power throwers in that in that group. And really, that's what they wanted. So in the audition, I did my, you know, my turnaround boom throw and, uh, you know, got into the second audition. But so did Dave. And so we were a couple at the time. This is like uh, 96. 97. And so both Dave and I got to go up to the second audition and and like, we had no idea if we, it's like, wow, this'd be crazy. Amazing. We wound up getting um, the parts. There were three parts and we got two of the three parts. So we made like really great money and we saved it and we bought a house. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. There's all sorts of things in there. I'm like, wow. Okay. So first off, I mean, I knew you did the commercial, but I didn't realize that you guys weren't auditioning as a pair, that you guys were taking your own individual paths in the audition process. And it was a huge cattle call and that it winnowed down to that. The two of you made it into the final three. I mean, what are the odds of that? That is just... Amazing. Again, it was the right time, right place, you know, because we were in the demographic that the ad agency was looking for, you know, at the time we were like in our, like we were 30 years old kind of thing. It's like the perfect demographic that they target for Jeep buying. And then the process was so cool. It was so amazing. We actually did miss the, I don't know if it was the US Open or the WIFDF that year, but um, one of the, we missed the big overall to go film it up in the Yukon Territory in Canada. So they fly us out there. We're staying in Dawson City, uh, Alaska. We're taking like this giant Russian helicopter out to the mountaintops every day. 
one time um, we filmed so late, you know, because this was in the height of summer. And so up there and really barely ever gets dark. And so one time we filmed so long, we just made lots of they just kept us there overnight. Um, and we made so much money just that one day. But then the the real money came in residuals. I mean, the way television has changed over time since then, I doubt that um, a television commercial would bring in that kind of money. Um, but, you know, we had to join the Screen Actors Guild and that kind of stuff. It was a different uh, paradigm. It was a different structure for actors and advertising at the time. And we just got lucky. So in the yeah. commercial, if I remember... The- there's three of you on three mountain peaks throwing discs. So were you literally up on mountain peaks throwing discs to each other? Is that how it worked? Yeah, but if um, you know what you can do with film is like we were all on the same mountain peak, okay. and then they were just using different angles. Like they used some helicopter shots. It was so cool to be up there. I mean, it was remote. We really were throwing in in that environment. It was uh, it was really crazy wild time. Wow. So how many days on the shoot was it? Was it a week? Was it two weeks, three days? How long was the shoot? I believe it was four days. It was four or five days total um, for the whole for the whole thing. We did have to do some uh, sound over recording in a studio later as well. So call that another day. I got it. No, I got it. I remember that. <laughs> Hard to remember your lines, right? I You've only know, got three. Those lines. <laughs> <laughs> they so, want you to emphasize it there. You need to say, I got it, or I got it, or <laughs> uh, I got it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and I remember at the end of the commercial, everyone jumps in their Jeeps and drives off. So, did you get to drive the Jeep? Oh, thanks for asking. No, that was a stunt double. You had stunt doubles for drivers. That's awesome. It was a production. It was a big production. It was real. I mean, the idea that they helicopter Jeeps onto the top of that thing. Oh, they colorized it a lot too. So it's really easy to Google, you know, that um, Jeep Frisbee commercial, but uh, it was very stark up there. It was, um, it was a lot of lichen and, you know, so it's kind of like grayish white up there, but they colorized it to make it look red sunset. Well, all those other jobs that were getting in the way of your Frisbee career, well, it paid off that you said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm quitting that job. And so you were able to parlay your Frisbee skills into a house payment. So that's pretty cool. I got fired for going up and filming that Jeep commercial. That's one of the ones you got fired for. (laughs) Worth it. I'm sure it was worth it. (laughs) Worth it. Yes, I just want to repeat that it was definitely worth it for Amy and Dave to do that commercial. What an amazing experience that must have been. And uh, just for all you listeners out there, I'll make sure to put a link to that commercial in the show notes so that you can see it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting about freestyle Frisbee and uh, commercials. It seems over the years there's been quite a bit of that. Uh, You know, I remember some beer commercials. I remember, uh, you know, Pepsi commercial. There was like some yogurt commercials. So it's sort of interesting how freestyle Frisbee has just kind of worked its way into that medium. Yeah, totally. And it's not even not just commercials. There's uh, a lot of movies that it's been in and a lot of TV shows. A lot of times you see people just uh, playing Frisbee sort of in the background while you're in the middle of a TV show and the Frisbee has nothing to do with it, but it's just something that extras do off to the side. It's kind of cool. It's sort of like become a part of our culture, I guess. 
interesting to see how it's kind of bled into the media. Yeah, totally. Um, so Snap Conga recommended the show. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes. And he didn't really tell us why. And then we watched the show. And the reason why he wanted us to watch it, I'm, I'm pretty sure, is because uh, one of the characters has a backpack and they've got their golf disc in the backpack. And he was on his way to a Frisbee golf tournament when the train exploded. <laughs> it's like this integral part of the show. Oh, that's so funny. So uh, just for all you listeners out there, if you haven't noticed yet, we interview people for several hours and end up with uh, three to five episodes on each person that we interview. So if you want to keep track of a specific person or get to hear just all the episodes, uh, you can use your favorite podcast app, subscribe to this podcast, and then you'll have all of the episodes. And then we do a, a good job of tagging everything as well. So if you put the episodes into um, something like iTunes or some other music or Organizer. All of the, the interviewees are tagged by who was interviewed, so you can actually listen to them all on a string as well if you wanted to. So that's the best way to keep up to date with content. Go subscribe on the podcast app. Yeah, I love to listen to podcasts when I go on a road trip. So I'll definitely use the app that I like called Podcast Addict, and I'll subscribe and download all the, the episodes that I, I'm interested in. And this is a great way to catch up on any of the episodes you've missed with Shooting the Frisbees as well. So definitely go subscribe. And on that note, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. 